Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Welcome back to the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Kinser, and today is Saturday, March 20th, 2021, and I'm recording this and releasing this a day late. This is another edition of This Week in Breastfeeding here on the podcast, and uh, apologies for anyone who's looking for this episode to come out yesterday, but it is what it is and life happens and that's just how it goes sometimes. But I'm super excited to be joining you again today for another episode uh, because there's some cool things that have come out that I'm really excited to share with you. And one of them uh, I did share to my Instagram stories the other day when I saw it come out, but I will link it up for you in the show notes like I do everything I discuss here. Uh, But it's a a new commercial from Nike, Nike Women. And uh, I have to give them a huge, huge shout out because thankfully, finally, there's a commercial that shows breastfeeding in a positive light. So uh, they show pregnant and breastfeeding uh, moms uh, being athletes. And uh, just it's so empowering. I think it's beautifully done. I just have to say that I think that I would like to see more commercials like this where breastfeeding is normalized, where it's not seen as something limiting, it's not uh, seen as, you know, this thing that we see sort of need to treat with kid gloves, if you will. Uh, I just I just think it's amazing. So anyway, I will link that up for you all because I just think it's really, really pretty and, and just pretty like visually just I don't know it was it was very it just it evoked a certain emotion of of like pride like yes you know even though you're pregnant even though you're breastfeeding you can still do amazing things with your body beyond just those things and you know those things are obviously just enough but I I just think that it's really empowering for any female athletes there who are going through their childbearing years to have a commercial like that so way to go Nike um Definitely makes up for uh, the the sweatshop labor and things like that that we've learned about in the past. But not saying they're a perfect company, but I'm I'm glad to see the commercial. So uh, anyway, there's a feature in Cosmopolitan, the uh, the magazine, but this is on their website, and the headline is "Can you breastfeed if you have implants?" Now I wanted to talk about this because actually the article's uh, very well written in, in terms of including basically most of what you need to know. And uh, they asked, uh, I guess they have Justine McNulty. She's uh, an in-house midwife for Best Milk uh, about this. It's interesting that they asked a midwife. You know, uh, I'm not saying this, you know, that just because you're a midwife, you don't know anything about breastfeeding. Of course you do. Of course you do. Uh, But it's always kind of interesting to me that they don't ask lactation consultants these things. Uh, I don't know why. There's lots of us that are open to being interviewed uh, or brought on as guest experts for any kind of, you know, pieces on this sort of topic. So uh, I don't know if it's just a lack of, you know, getting someone in time or what have you, but who knows. Anyways, I'm glad they wrote this article. Uh, so they do answer the question, is it safe to breastfeed if you have implants? 
Um, and I would say that realistically, in terms of safety, that's that's a relative thing that everybody gets to decide for themselves. Um, you know, if if your implants are intact and whatnot, uh, then yes, it's there's probably no issue there. But there have absolutely been cases of implants leaking, and there's especially a concern with silicone implants. Um, and there, uh, it has been known for silicone to enter breast milk, so you know, that may be something that's concerning for you if you've had implants. Um, you know, I, there are many women these days that are choosing to get their implants removed, either because of breast implant illness or concerns about that down the line or reclaiming their bodies or whatever it is. Uh, and I do see it happening more and more and it's being discussed. And, you know, there's unfortunately issues with encapsulation and, and other things. So, you know, safety, that's relative. That's a decision for you to make based on your own uh, sort of you know health status and concerns related to your implants. But um, usually, yes, it's totally fine to breastfeed if you have implants. Uh, I would argue that uh, breastfeeding with implants is definitely better than formula, but you know again, everybody has a unique situation. Now, they do acknowledge that there's issues that could arise that may be more likely, like engorgement, clogged ducts, mastitis, um, but these can be resolved just like they are in a mother that doesn't have implants. So get that, you know, prompt advice and, and support and treatment from a lactation consultant. Uh, so there's really no studies out there that are suggesting that breastfeeding after having breast implants is unsafe. So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, another question that they asked is, will implants make breastfeeding more of a challenge? It could make breastfeeding more of a challenge in the sense that if you got very large implants, um, you know, you could have, you know, more swelling or, or pain or engorgement, things like that, that could cause some issues. Um, most of them are inserted under the muscle tissue, but, um, you know, there are reasons why people get implants and those should be acknowledged. Uh, really, one is because they have insufficient glandular tissue to begin with. So if you just never had enough glandular tissue, that tissue that is responsible for manufacturing the milk in your breast, and you get implants, well, implants aren't going to add any more glandular tissue. So, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the implants themselves, but maybe the reason why you got them to begin with is because you have insufficient glandular tissue and you will struggle to make enough milk for your baby no matter what. So that's an issue. So sometimes implants can mask that issue. Um... Or maybe you've had reconstructive surgery, maybe there's been some procedure done around the areola, that could potentially pose more of an issue because it could have maybe severed some of the milk ducts. Although there's some good uh, information out there about if it's been more than five years since any sort of uh, breast surgery like that, like a major biopsy or reconstructive surgery, then there are more chances that your milk ducts have had a chance to regenerate, regrow, reconnect, and all of that. So um, I think probably the biggest issue, and it doesn't even happen all the time at all, um, but implants can cause some discomfort if you're engorged, right? And it can stretch your, your breast tissue more. Um, you may end up getting more stretch marks, things like that. You might not. So it just depends. Um, they do answer the question of what can you do if you're struggling to breastfeed? And they talk about seeing a midwife or healthcare professional to rule out medical problems, they share a breastfeeding helpline number. That's great. I don't know why they don't mention lactation consultants, but please, honestly, if you're struggling with breastfeeding, just go right to the source of someone who can help you with it. Um, I 
you know, I just feel like it's like my responsibility to advocate for the profession because it's like articles like this. Why are we not mentioning the one healthcare professional who is specifically trained to help in lactation, lactation consultants. So please contact one. Um, but you know, anyway, uh, they, they do go on to answer another question, which I think is definitely a concern, which is will breastfeeding affect your implants? And no, it will not. Um, but you know, going through the process of pregnancy and breastfeeding and the hormones that change your breast tissue and whatnot, your tissue, you know, expands and then it will contract once you cease breastfeeding. So, you know, it can change the way that your breasts look. Yeah, definitely. Um, but just because you've breastfed does not always mean that your breasts have dramatically changed in appearance once you're done breastfeeding. Again, everyone's different. So articles like this are great, um, bringing some more information to, to the issue, but I would say that there's really no definitive answer. So, you know, everybody's unique. All right, I wanna share this. Uh, this is a study that came out here. Um, it's breastfeeding during a pandemic, the influence of COVID-19 on lactation services in the Northeastern United States. This is from March 18th. And basically what they did is, uh, a survey, more or less, uh, just to get in touch with providers, uh, let eligible lactation staff, and you know, see what's what's going on with lactation support during the pandemic. You know, I know from my colleagues and, and being in forums for IBCLCs and, and conferences and things like that that things have changed dramatically. There are still many of my colleagues out there who will never do in-person visits um, as long as things are going the way that they are, even a year later. So. Um, and you know, that's because that's their choice and they have their own risk profile that they're acknowledging or what have you. Um, there's great concern from my colleagues about even doing home visits, entering an environment where that environment is not a controlled environment in terms of infection control. And even though the family and the lactation consultant might be wearing a mask throughout the visit, they weren't wearing one before the lactation consultant's arrival and, and the length of time and proximity to the patient, there's a lot of concerns, you know? So uh, a lot of people have switched to telehealth and, or started adding it on as an option for their practice. Um, and, uh, you know, the survey here, I, I think we have to take some things into account. So the survey of, of the study, they found that more than half, 58.1%, um, said that um, they were conducting telehealth in any form, and they found that virtual lactation support was moderately effective compared to in-person support. Now, the majority, 69.2%, were providing only telehealth services in this survey. So uh, they say weakness of virtual support included technical and logistical difficulties, challenges assisting with latching or reading body language over the phone or online, and accurately assessing infant growth. I will agree that those are challenges. I will say, though, that part of the issue here is that many people transitioned to telehealth for the first time as a result of the pandemic. Um, I've been doing it for years ahead of time, so transitioning to telehealth or making that the bulk of my practice uh, during this time has not been difficult for me because I've had years to sort of refine the process. But I will acknowledge that there are limitations. Like, yes, I, I cannot weigh the baby before and after a feeding, but honestly, that's only one piece of assessing infant milk intake. There's many, many others. And I don't expect to get all the information I need during one single video appointment. Um, I really don't do phone appointments. I, I do feel strongly that it needs to be Visual, there's a lot of visual communication that happens when we're working with breastfeeding. So anyway, I would say that I think it's fair to acknowledge that the weakness isn't necessarily 
only the virtual support itself and the technology. It also has to do with the steep learning curve, not only of the lactation consultants, but also the parents. You know, this is uh, the first time a lot of people are seeking telehealth as an option, and it's just very different. So it's a learning curve for everybody. Um, now, they did say strengths related to virtual support included the flexibility and convenience of home-based support, expanded communication strategies, and safety from virus exposure. Yes, I actually think this is huge. The timeliness of getting a virtual visit versus an in-person one is, is definitely great. Um, the fact that no one needs to leave their home is obviously very helpful. Um, and so I think those are awesome, uh, you know, reasons. They did talk about limited in-hospital and pediatrician support, um, and especially, you know, in groups without access to telehealth resources, they're not getting the support that they needed. So I'm glad the study was done uh, because it is something that needs to be talked about. And, you know, it's another part of the healthcare system that's been impacted for families and for healthcare providers. So here's a, a cool article I'm I'm shocked to see. Thank you, Today's Parent, for doing... And I, I say shocked because maybe I have a, a little negative opinion of the media sometimes, but just because I've seen so many articles over the years about breastfeeding and lactation that have just been full of misinformation, and it's unfortunate. And I, I know about it because parents come to me and they say, well, I read this article, and I'm like, yeah, that's oh, unfortunately not correct. It's not great info. You know, so it's nice to see really good info. I like to acknowledge it. And this is by Avi Herman. Uh, it's how you offer a bottle can be more important than what's inside. And the whole article is about paste bottle feeding. And I'm so, so glad to see this because paste bottle feeding is an absolute must, breastfed baby or not, uh, because really it's, it's the proper way to feed a baby. So they go into how to do that, why it's important, what are the benefits, um, you know, how to do this in a way that is, is responsive to your baby. They talk about positioning, you know, acknowledging uh, hunger cues, fullness cues of your baby, uh, really great stuff like that. They also cover what types of bottles uh, are best for a breastfed baby. Now, I want to come out on a, on a limb here and say, it's not about what type of bottle is best for a breastfed baby. It's what type of bottle is best for any baby. Breastfed or not, we need to be using bottle nipples for babies that support their oral function and growth and development. Most of the bottles out there that are marketed to be more like the breast are not at all like the breast once it's inside of a baby's mouth. And I'm not going to name names here, but you're welcome to go read this article and check out what they're talking about. Um, but bottle nipple is very important, not only for the shape, the texture, but the flow of the milk. So um, they do a good job of highlighting that as well. So I'll link that up. I think that's a really great article that, honestly, I'll probably be linking up and sharing quite a bit. Um, then we'll move on over to an article from Baby Gaga. They have a cool article about how adoptive moms can breastfeed, and here's how. Now, they, they go into um, hormone therapy and how important that can be. I have worked with adoptive parents who have chosen to not do hormone therapy, and I do think it's possible, but I will say that you get the best success when you do use hormones, uh, a combination of birth control and usually domperidone, although you can definitely use birth control to induce lactation as well. I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of how to do that. That's something you're going to need to work with your healthcare team on, uh, but they also talk about the importance of breast stimulation. So you can, um, you know, obviously do this yourself. Um, they do talk about how your partner can help with this and pump as well. So these are all ways um, that are tried and true that work very, very well. 
They also talk about using Galactagogs. Um, they did not feature mine, but that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yes, herbs are very important, whether or not you're going the pharmaceutical route. Uh, because yes, absolutely, herbs do influence lactation. That's why I created a product that does that. But um, and I'll link that up in the show notes if, if you want to check it out. It's called the Advanced Lactation Formula. It's on Amazon. Uh, but it's really important that you have whole support of your body to work as well as it can. Um, they also talk about something that a lot of people tend to resist or, or feel like is a lot of hard work and they don't want to do it, but it's 100% worth it, which is supplementing at the breast. Using a nursing supplement system like an SNS, like a Lact-Aid, like something you know a- a- along those lines, a thin silicone tube that you know, give supplemental milk to your baby while they're feeding at the breast. It's it's imperative to your success. Quite honestly, it's imperative to anybody who's really struggling with, with low milk supply and looking to increase it. So this is obviously going to be very helpful when you're inducing lactation. And they do talk about starting lactation induction early. So yes, you do want to, I usually say, honestly, a couple months ahead of delivery time, uh, if you can time it that way. Um, They do say it takes three to five days for moms to produce breast milk naturally. Yes, it does after birth. So with induction, it does say it takes the mom up to four weeks. I will say that I've had uh, mothers um, who've never even been pregnant before been able to induce lactation as soon as a week after they began a regimen. Um, But I would say, yes, give it uh, two to four weeks most of the time. Uh, for that milk production to begin. And just because it begins doesn't mean that you're there, you're done, uh, because it's usually just drops at a time, usually just starts in one breast at a time. So it takes time to get it going, and then you have to keep it going and continue to increase it. So um, the last piece that they give here is talking about expectations. So inducing lactation doesn't guarantee that you'll have plenty of milk. I 100% agree with that, but I would say that I don't think that most parents who are inducing lactation expect to make a full milk supply. Um, Make sure you are setting realistic goals if this is something that you're thinking about or if you know someone who's thinking about this because the goal here is that, you know, breastfeeding is not all or nothing. Lactation is not all or nothing. It's amazing to be able to have the ability to feed your baby at the breast. It's amazing to be able to give them as much of your breast milk as possible, but it's okay if you can't meet 100% of their needs that way. And that's true whether you're inducing lactation or not. So um, they give some great tips here, and I think it's an awesome article. So another one just to keep sort of as a point of reference. Um, Now, this is an article that I found in Medical Express, and it's about doulas. Doulas help families meet breastfeeding goals. And this is really, really true. And I think this, you know, because they're such an integral support of the the pregnancy and, and birth process and the immediate postpartum, that the fact that you have just any support person there who is there to care for you and guide you and, and recognize things that are, you know, out of the ordinary and is able to direct you to more resources or even help with the basics of getting breastfeeding started, that is huge. It's absolutely huge. Unfortunately, not very many people use a doula. Fewer than 10% of women who give birth in the U.S. each year use doulas. Um, And so, you know, they're not medical providers, but they do have some training to support you in this peripartum period. And I just think it's fantastic. So even if you didn't hire a birth doula, 
A postpartum doula is available to you a lot of the times, even in small communities. Um, but maybe this is not someone that you formally hire. Maybe it's a very good friend. Uh, maybe it's uh, a night nurse type of person. Maybe it's a family member, someone who's really there to support you and your whole family and and take the load off of some of the things. So I think this is really great. I'm glad that doulas are getting more attention because I think that they're they're sort of um they're overlooked. They're, they're seen as this optional thing. And, and yes, I suppose technically it is optional, much like a lactation consultant is optional, but it's something that it's so helpful. And oftentimes people don't recognize the true value of it until they've actually hired one and they realize, oh my goodness, I don't know what I would have done without this person. So if you're thinking about a doula, my advice to you is it is well worth the investment. Um, please, I would much rather someone spend their money on doulas, lactation consultants, um, you know, other, you know, a really good healthcare provider to support you, things like that versus buying all the cutest baby outfits and whatever. First of all, people are probably going to gift that stuff to you. But second of all, you can also ask for monetary gifts, you know, fund the doula, fund the lactation consultant, um, what have you. So if you have a friend who's got a baby shower upcoming, think about, you know, maybe pulling together, um, you know, people to contribute towards, you know, a doula or lactation consultant or acupuncture or whatever you think is going to support that family. Um, Now, this is an article that I wanted to talk about. Uh, I found it on Yahoo, but I guess it was from Pop Sugar. It's from March 16th, and the headline is The Truth About Taking Melatonin While Breastfeeding. I'll admit that this was clickbait for me. (laughs) Um, They talk about how melatonin obviously can help you fall asleep. It's naturally found in our bodies, but you can take it as a supplement. Um, They said that the main concern of taking melatonin while breastfeeding is the fact that it can make you drowsy when it's important to be alert while caring for your child. You know, I have to say that most melatonin supplements on the market are not going to be enough to make you drowsy in the same way that like taking Benadryl or something would, um, or, you know, a narcotic pain medication or something like that. Uh, I don't think that there's any impairment that's really going to happen from taking a normal amount of melatonin. Um, I, everybody's different though. So your physiology may respond differently. Um, but they're kind of encouraging parents to use alternatives like chamomile tea or just a warm liquid in general and giving those options a try, which I think are great. Um, I don't like the idea of taking a melatonin supplement. Uh, I would say that a much better alternative might be doing something like tryptophan, which is going to help you um, produce melatonin naturally uh, and encourage, you know, a deeper sleep cycle because it also is a serotonin precursor. But uh, really, you want to just do things to not disrupt your melatonin production. So I wish this article was longer and actually addressed that instead of trying to scare breastfeeding parents away from using melatonin. Um, I would say that the issue about parents being too drowsy to care for their babies and falling asleep while holding them has more to do with the normal sleep deprivation that happens by virtue of having a newborn, less so to do with actually taking melatonin. Um, And if you're falling asleep while holding your baby, you don't need melatonin. (laughs) So melatonin is not going to help you stay asleep. It just helps you fall asleep. So, um, you know, that being said, do things to make sure that you are not turning off the melatonin production in your body. So no blue light exposure after sunset. 
Okay, it's really important. Even during the day, you want to limit, you know, if you're constantly on a screen, maybe think about getting some blue light blocking glasses, but make sure in the evenings that, you know, you can adjust the settings on your television or your device to limit blue light exposure. You can wear stronger blue light blocking glasses in the evenings that actually do have an orange lens. And I would recommend that if you're finding that you're struggling to actually fall asleep. Um, and it's really important that you do have a balance in your natural hormonal cycles because the melatonin that you make at night is also passes into your breast milk. And your baby will drink that breast milk with the melatonin in those evening hours and they will fall asleep much more easily. If you are not making melatonin, if you are waking up in the middle of the night and getting on your phone and you're stopping that melatonin production, not only are you going to have a hard time falling back asleep, but so is your baby. So you want to make sure that you're not turning off that melatonin production by uh, you know, exposing your retinas to blue light in the evening hours or too much blue light even during the daytime hours. So make sure you're being really cautious about that. Um, it could be an alarm clock next to your bed. Obviously, it's most of the time a phone or something like that. So make sure you're even using like the night shift settings on your phone in addition to blue light blocking glasses. That will be very helpful. Try not to turn on lights in the middle of the night for diaper changes, feedings, things like that. Um, Honestly, a salt lamp or just a, a lamp with a red bulb or something near your bed, that should provide enough light for you to be able to see your way to the bathroom or, you know, um, to see your way to the bathroom or to, you know, pick up your baby, change a diaper, things like that. So I like salt lamps for that because it gives off a nice um, warm orange glow. So just some tips for you. Um, I don't think you need to take a melatonin supplement. I don't necessarily think it's a good idea. Um, but make sure you're doing things that don't disrupt your melatonin production like that blue light exposure. So um, I just wanted to cover that because this article did not. Um, but I would say that if you end up taking a melatonin supplement, uh, it's not the end of the world at all. But most of the time, I find that people don't actually need melatonin supplements. They need to just, you know, encourage their bodies to make it naturally. Uh, and then here's an article from the World Health Organization. I love when they put things out like this. Uh, it's from March 16th, and the headline is Keeping Mothers and Babies Together Could Save More Than 125,000 Lives. So I love this. Uh, it says, new research from WHO and partners shows that the COVID-19 pandemic is severely affecting the quality of care given to small and sick newborns, resulting in unnecessary suffering and deaths. A study published in the Lancet a Clinical Medicine e-clinical medicine, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to say that, highlights the critical importance of ensuring newborn babies have close contact with parents after birth, especially for those, those born too small or too soon. So basically, they're just reinforcing that um, there was some initial guidance that was put out or that several countries followed of separating mothers and newborns at birth because of COVID-19. And they're saying, nope, that's not something we should do. Kangaroo mother care is uh, the most important thing for you know helping babies survive, especially in countries where there are generally more adverse health outcomes, especially for for child mortality and maternal mortality. So they go into you know quite a bit more, but that's sort of the highlight. And I just wanted to say that one of the most important things you could do, you know, in um, you know living upper middle class in the United States, or whether you live in a you know run down village without running water in India is to do kangaroo care with your baby. 
You know, there there is no uh, greater gift that you could offer your baby than constant skin to skin for the first several days uh, or weeks after birth. Um, just, you know, at the breast early and often all the time, they should basically be nursing around the clock in those early days after birth. And this is so important for their physiology, for their long-term health, for your milk production, um, for your healing, all of the things. So no matter what your life circumstances are, this is one of the most important things that you could do for your baby. And I encourage everybody to do it. Absolutely everybody. There is you know, this is not a time of life in those early newborn days where you should even be using a swaddle. Um, your baby should just be skin to skin with you. Uh, basically, all of the time, it's it's one of the most important things you can do. You know, things like wraps, um, you know, slings, you know, those sorts of baby carriers can be great for doing that as well. They even make special garments for kangaroo care that are really cool. So there's a lot of options if you're looking to be a little bit more hands-free, but if you can do this, um, it's really, really important and foundational for their health and their survival. So that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. I thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, it's always a pleasure to bring this information to you. And uh, I am looking for some more podcast guests interviews. So if you listen to this and you have something you want to um, you know, bring to the show, send me an email uh to hello at holisticlactation.com. I have had some people go through uh, the podcast application, uh, send send me an email, and then I said, yes, I'd love to have you on, and then they never scheduled it. So make sure you're um, definitely willing to be on the podcast. Uh, If you want to be a guest or if you have someone you might suggest, uh, let me know, send me an email, or send me a message over on Instagram. I would love to hear from you. So I will uh, talk to you on the next episode. Thank you again for listening. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.